Well, it's wonderful to see all of you here on the Lord's Day and uh, opportunity to open up God's Word. I want to bring a to you this morning entitled, Understanding the Nature of Temptation. Understanding the Nature of Temptation. I remember long time ago now, over 40, almost 45 years, that I first came to Christ, and I remember thinking long and hard about why, though Christ was in me, I was still struggling with the sin that remained in my heart. And what the Lord might be doing by allowing such sin to remain and how I was to battle it and to defeat it and what resources I might have to do so. And the more I grappled with it, the more I sought to understand it, I have enjoyed and profited and so desperately need James chapter 1 in my life. So let's turn to James chapter 1 and let's see what riches are there for us so that we can understand the true nature of temptation. Now for me, there are four very important biblical words that I see in James chapter 1 that will help us understand temptation and even to work toward saying no to such temptation and saying yes to righteousness and holiness. If you wanted an outline, I would suggest that these four words that we're going to talk a lot about would stand for that outline. And those four words, all of them contained in James chapter 1, could give us an outline of what we should occupy ourselves in this study. And those four words are, I'll give them to you up front, temptations. Temptations. The second word is trials, trials. The third word is desires, desires. And the fourth word is tests, tests. Those are four very, very important words that James teaches us that would really give us the information, the teaching, the warning, and the blessing of looking at and standing against temptation in our lives. What is very interesting, though, in James chapter 1 is that these four words in each of their usages, actually three words if we want to be technical about it, in the context of each of these three words as they're given, 
you and I must see either a positive or a negative context in how these words are being used. Because the words themselves, three of them, are actually Greek words that could be used either in a positive or negative context, as I just said, but they're actually the same word. Let me show you what I mean. Let's talk, first of all, about temptation. Temptation. Listen to what James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, says. I'm using the English uh, standard version of the Bible, the ESV, and it says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And then move to verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, this is a very famous passage of Scripture, and it's true that many folks have gained such comfort and instruction from them, maybe even possibly have so many believers memorized this portion of James chapter 1 because we all go through trials. We all go through the temptations of life. We all have desires. We're all under the test. And this particular passage, I think, can be so well understood when you and I understand a couple of key features of this. And one of those features is... Who is the person who is placing me under a temptation or trial? And also, what are the purposes of those temptations and trials? So I'm going to show you who those persons are and what those purposes are. And I'm going to talk about these four words that I think are the key to understanding this passage. So let's talk about the first one. The first of these 
four English words that we find here in James chapter 1. And that first word is temptation or temptations. And in order for us to do that, I want us to actually look sort of from the end of this passage, moving our way to the front of the passage. So let's look at verses 13, 14, and 15. In James 1.13, the Bible says, let no one say when he is, and what's the next word? Tempted. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted, there it is again, by God. For God cannot be tempted, there it is a third time, with evil, and He Himself tempts no one. Another use of the word tempt. Verse 14, but each person is tempted. So just in a space of really one and a half verses, we find the word temptation being used. What's interesting, however is the second word in our outline is the word trial. Trial. Look back at James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials, there it is, of various kinds. Trials. That is most interesting to me because... The word trials, as it is translated in English with that word trials, and the word temptation, which I just read to you from verses 13 and 14, is actually the very same word in the Greek New Testament. It is is a word that is of major significance and importance to us. But I'm asking the question, this particular word, which is parasmos in the Greek text, why do the English translators, if it's the same Greek word with forms of that word, but all the same word, essentially, why do the English translators then not use the same English word? You ever thought of that? Well, the reason why the translators very well, I might add, have changed from one English word to another is the answer to who's bringing the trial, who's bringing the temptation. Remember when I said it all depends on who the persons and the purposes are. So let's think of it this way. If temptations are coming into our Christian life, and they most certainly are, They do not come from God Himself. Now notice what I said, temptations, temptations. Why? Well, because the Bible tells us very clearly here, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and He Himself tempts no one. So the first base in the baseball game of life called the Christian life is to be understood in this way. If you're going through a temptation, and we all are, and that's why I add the plural, temptations, it is not coming from God. God cannot be tempted by evil and He tempts 
no one. Well, why would the English translators use the same Greek word with a different twist? Because of that very verse. The word temptation and the person behind that temptation, if it isn't God, who might it be? Well, it could be Satan. And Satan surely is the God, small g, of this world. The Bible tells us that clearly. But I'm not convinced that Satan is always around me personally to tempt me to sin. In fact, I hope I really don't have any first-person experiences with him. I'd like for him, since he likes hot places, to remain there. Hell, Hades, Tucson, Phoenix, wherever, wherever he might want to go, I'm okay with that, except for the inhabitants of Phoenix and Tucson. But I believe that the translators have rightly determined that though this is the same Greek word, it's advisedly needing to be changed because if God tempts no man to sin, it means that God never solicits anyone to do evil, Christian or non-Christian. God tempts no man, nor can he be tempted by evil. Therefore, when you and I have temptations in our lives, who is that coming from? Well, it's either coming from Satan, but normally not, I wouldn't think. Or it may come from the allurements of the world, or it might very well be coming, and I think most of the time is, coming from the sinfulness, the remaining sin of our own hearts. I mean, even the regenerate person, the Christian, the believer who's on his way to heaven has to war against temptation because either Satan or the world or his remaining sin is always dogging his steps so that you and I always have to be on the lookout for evil that's lurking in and around us continually and always. So that's why the translators say if it's the same word, parasmos, in all of its forms, we need to make a distinction here in English that if God tempts no man, He doesn't solicit any man to do evil at all since He Himself cannot be tempted. Therefore, we can't say that Christians are tempted by God. But the word itself is advisably given there Because of what it says in verse 14, but each person is tempted, referring of course to a believer, when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Yes, if there are temptations in our lives... We are being solicited somehow to sin against the Lord, to do the wrong thing, and to be the wrong person at that time. That's why that word temptation is so important. But didn't I just read in James chapter 1 verse 2 that other word, trials? Yes, James 1, 2, count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kind. 
That's the same word. It's a form of the word parasmos. Well, why are they being inconsistent? I tell you, it is because of a great truth. And that is, God, while He never solicits anyone to do evil, God does test us. He does test us. He uses ways and means as a good and kind and loving Heavenly Father to see to it that you and I, when we encounter these various trials, have a good and godly intended purpose. Not like James 1, 14 and 15, not so that you and I could be lured away and enticed by our desires, but so that we can, according to James 1, 2, knowing that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. It's not to injure us. It's not to warp us. It's not to do us in when God, who solicits no man to do evil, yet brings trials in our lives, it is for the ultimate godly purpose of bringing us in a steadfast way all the way to glory. That's God's purpose. That's God's plan. And He uses trials, among other things, to bring us to steadfastness. Some of your Bibles may not use the word steadfastness. It may have the word endurance there. That's good. Or it may even have the word perseverance. That's good too. So whether it's steadfastness or perseverance or endurance, those are all good and godly outcomes. And so the Lord God most definitely brings into our lives trials of various kinds. Notice the plural, trials, not just one, but many throughout the entirety of our Christian life so that you and I could be Steadfast, persevering, enduring, and for what end? It says, verse 4, and let steadfastness have its full effect. That, so that, in order that, you may be perfect and complete. Not perfect in the here and now, but a growing maturity in the here and now that ultimately will be a perfection in glory. So that you and I may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And we have a a lot of lack. A lot of lack of spiritual growth. A lot of lack in perseverance and steadfastness and endurance. And because we have much lack of that, our Heavenly Father knows such a thing and He brings trials among many other things, joys and happinesses and wonderful things, but also trials so that you and I could continue on the road of faith with a maturing dynamic so that you and I can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And it all hinges on that word, parasmos. Okay, is this, a, is this a temptation from Satan or is this a trial from the Lord? Now, if you're like me, you say, I don't know that I can always tell. 
It's not because I'm saying about our Lord Jesus Christ, what, what are you doing? This is not best. This is not right. This seems like I am being solicited to do evil. But we know what is being taught us here, and that is God is not in the place of soliciting you and me to do evil. So this must be a trial by which, for which, Jesus is taking me through, if you wanted to change the metaphor, the spiritual woodshed. He's he's going to correct us. He's going to challenge us. He's going to teach us. And according to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, He's going to stop at nothing in our lives. He's on a continual, relentless quest, is our God, to ensure that if we're true believers, we actually will be given trials of various kinds so that that steadfastness and perseverance and endurance will meet its intended conclusion. Now, to me... Even if I don't always like the way my steadfastness is coming at me, I'm certainly still thankful for it. I'm still very thankful that God is working in my life, even through the trials, just as we sang those songs, so that God would be pleased to see us be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So that's, that's the one word, parasmas, that makes up the two English words in our chapter, James chapter 1, one being temptation, one being trial. And I'm so thankful for this translation because it's actually telling me if it's the word temptation, they believe, these translators, that that's a negative context and you got to watch out. And if it's trial, it's in a positive context and you better watch out because Even in that positive context, the trials that will come our way, though they may even at times be disguised as temptations from Satan himself and from the allurements of the world or from even my own remaining sin, but we know that if it is a trial, God will give us, as I prayed earlier, the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God to withstand all trials, no matter how heavy they are, so that you and I could be well on the road to spiritual maturity. And of course, it's not always easy to try to determine with a kind of definitiveness whether or not I am in a temptation versus a trial. But God knows. And when I'm not totally sure myself, what's my response? Look at verse 5. If any of you lacks, what? Wisdom. Let him ask God. The one who's not trying to seduce you to do evil. He's not trying to solicit from you some evil action. And this good God is actually telling us through Holy Scripture, that we can go to Him and ask for help. And in this case, wisdom help. And by the way, it's not some kind of airy-fairy, kind of mystical wisdom that's not in the Bible. That's not what's being referred to here. When it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, 
Well, we have God's complete, full revelation right here in this book. And because of that, we're asking for wisdom from the Word. Wisdom from the Word. And there is no other wisdom than we need than wisdom from the Word. And so we ask God to bathe us in Holy Scripture. Give me wisdom. Splash it on me. Water my mind so thoroughly through with wisdom that I'm able to understand. Is this a temptation? Is this a trial? And how should I respond? Lord, first thing I ask, give me your wisdom. Give me your wisdom. And sometimes you and I are bereft of some of that wisdom because we're not availing ourselves of God's Word as we ought. We don't read it as extensively and meditatively as we ought. And sometimes, though, we do, especially if we're under this trial of epic proportions. And when we do, in addition to bathing ourselves in God's Word, we ask the Spirit of God to illumine our minds so that we would understand the Scripture rightly and that we would ask not only for His illuminating power, but also His strengthening power so that we can withstand the temptation or the trial. And we also have the people of God, people in the body of Christ, people in the body of Christ in this local expression of that body who we can also go to and say, pray for me, help me. Or they can come to us and they're saying to you, help me, guide me. And and those three things, the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God can all be sources, reservoirs of wonderful counsel from the Word, which is the wisdom of God. And if anyone lacks it, he can ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. One of the other translations says, without fault finding. I love that. Without without God begrudging, you're asking for wisdom. Oh, I don't know if I really want to give it to you today. Oh, yeah, but you haven't been as, as obedient as you ought, so I'm going to make you suffer a little bit more because... You need the wisdom, but you're not worth enough or you're not working hard enough for such wisdom. That never comes to us from God. Why? Because this is a promise. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, without fault finding, and it will be given him. That's a promise guaranteed, my friend. He will give it to us. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. We don't have time to go through all of the verses of this particular section of Scripture, but we do know this. Asking God in faith, by faith, with faith, for wisdom, so that we can determine, is this a temptation or is this a trial? And once I can determine that, I'm asking the person of the trial, the person who's bringing it to me, whether... If it's Satan, I'm asking God for help against him. If it's the world, I'm asking God for help against them. If it's my own self, I'm asking God for help against me. But if it is something like a trial and not a temptation, I'm asking God for wisdom, and he promises to give it. And when he does give it, 
He allows me to be the recipient of it, and I can benefit from life's trials because His plan and His purpose is so that you and I can be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see how this works? And that all comes in this context from that little word parasmos that's either temptation or test. Well, how about, how about the next word? The next word, believe it or not, is the word desire. And it too is a Greek word that depending on its context is either positive or negative. For the good and positive side of it, 1 Timothy 3 Verse 1, it says that if a man aspires to the office of overseer or elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. And that word desire is the same word that's used here in James 1, and that's the Greek word epithumia. Epithumia. Epi on the front of it intensifies the word, so you could actually translate it something like this, strong desire. And there's nothing more important and godly and positive if there is a godly young man, a godly man who says, I want to serve God's people. I want to be an elder, an overseer, someone who takes care of the flock of God. That is my strong desire. That's a positive context. It's it's a wonderful thing. That doesn't always mean that the person who is saying that about himself is truly called. There are other facets of being called, including the affirmation of other people. But the word itself, epithumia, means that he has a strong godly desire. But when you get to James chapter 1, and that word desire is used... And I've already read it to you a couple of different times. Look at verse 14. This is now in that negative context, temptation. But when each person is tempted, when he is lured and enticed by his own epithumia, his own desire. That's why, though the translators don't choose to do it here, that's why sometimes when that particular word epithumia is listed, It's actually not translated as desire, it's translated as lust. Lust, which is is not good. It's not positive, it's negative. And in that context of James 1.14, it is most certainly negative. But each person is tempted when he is lured. You know that from, from the fishing pole. Lured. I grew up in Arkansas, did a lot of fishing. I was never so thankful about so many fish being deceived in my life. (laughs) Lured and enticed, and I think you could make a case to say lured and enticed by his own lust. So, this lust, according to verse 15, when it has conceived gives birth to sin. It's the metaphor now of baby making. It's the idea that it, it, it started in the heart, it started in the mind, it started in the desire, and the desire was the luring of something for an illegitimate desire, and when that conception happens, it gives to the world a birth, 
And in this case, because it's negative, it gives the world the birthing of sin. It gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, when all of that lust is doing its sadistic work, it brings forth death. This is the anatomy, the birthing of desire, which when conceived brings forth a fully grown sin, which then leads to inevitable death. That's the way sin works. That's the way sin is. And it starts with the desire. So, am I talking about a bad desire here? Yes, in that context, no question. But, our third and very interesting word, desire, gives way to the fourth word, And that's the word test. And if you see test, all the way back in chapter 1, verse 2 of James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials or trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See that word test? It's also used in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial... For when he has stood the test. Now that, my friends, that word test, also, as our third word, also has either a positive or negative context to it. The positive context to test is also related to the person and the purposes of either temptations or trials. If it's a temptation, the person at work behind it is either your own sinful self or the sinfulness of the world or the sinfulness of Satan. And that test is actually a test to bring you down, to destroy you, to injure you, to wound you, to debilitate you. But that that particular word there, the word for test, is dokimos, and it's a word also that means the refiner's fire. You know the artisan takes, let's say, precious metals, or what seems or appears to be precious metals, gold, silver, precious stones, and the adversity of placing such things in the fire, the furnace of adversity, and allowing the intensity of the heat of such a fire to burn off the dross, the impurities. That's our word. And the idea is, in a positive context, that you and I as believers are having constant regular opportunities to be tested by the Lord. And to be tested by the Lord is an opportunity for all of the dross, all of the impurities, all of the sin to be extinguished, incinerated, so that you and I come forth like gold. 
That's the word test here. And if you remembered our scripture reading in 1 Corinthians 10, the word test is used there. It was a test. And with most of them, the Bible says, most of those Israelites, God was not well pleased. That's why they died in the wilderness. So the dokimos, the testing, the testing procedure is, is what God uses. And by the way, the Greek translation of the Old Testament has the use of this same word dokimos in it. If you want to write this down, Psalm 66.10. Psalm 66.10. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Proverbs 17.3. The crucible is for silver and furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. Now remember... If someone comes along and says, look, I'm undergoing this, this huge, huge test and I'm failing miserably and I seem to be out of it, well, ask yourself the question, it is, is it a temptation to avoid, to stand against, or a test to pass? And if it's coming from God... There is no solicitation for you to do evil and he will give you the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God to withstand such a test so that in that testing procedure, in the intensity of the fire's adversity, you and I will have all the impurities and the dross melt away so that you and I are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So don't say no to the test. If you believe it's coming from the Lord Himself, say yes to the test. Proverbs 27.21 says, The crucible is for silver, and the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. Wow. Well, what's my reputation? What do people think of me? Well, you're going to go under the fire of adversity, the fiery furnace of testing, and we're going to find out. Or, you, you, of course, probably all know Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's, of course, Jeremiah 79. But the very next verse is this. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. That's our word, test. To give man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. And so here's what's so interesting. If, if the word parasmos for temptation slash trial is the one word, depending on the context, positive or negative, if the next word, epithemia, desire, is either one word, two spheres, positive or negative, so is dokimos. So is dokimos. The fiery furnace. And what is the positive? It's, it's telling us right there, the Lord is testing your faith to produce steadfastness from your faith. You say, what's the negative? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, where Paul tells those same Corinthians in which I read to you a portion of chapter 10, and he says this, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, beginning there. 
he says something very interesting, and he uses the word dokimos, but he uses it by putting a little a, little alpha, in front of the word that negates the word. Like we would say, atheist. That's someone who does not believe in God. He's not a theist. The alpha privative negates the word. He's an atheist. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves, Corinthians, to see whether you are truly in the faith. And then he says this, test yourselves. Test yourselves. And then he says, to see whether you're in the faith or not. And then he says, I sure hope you are. I sure hope you are. So whether it's dokimos or adokimos, it's telling us in James chapter 1 that we are going to be tested if we're true believers, but we also may be tested and found out not to be believers at all. Especially those who have the kinds of desires, the lusts, which consume their their whole lives. Whether they're people who say they go to church, whether they're people who say, I love the Lord from people who say, well, I grew up as a Christian or I grew up in a Christian home or whatever their claims are, if you're constantly and forever failing the test, it could be that you're adokimos, tested and found unworthy, tested and found not to be true and legitimate and authentic. The, The fiery furnace has been placed in your life, and your life has been placed in that furnace, and the examination is concluded by this sign, not genuine, not genuine, unworthy of the kingdom. This is, this is what the Bible teaches us about trials. Positives, negatives, context, persons, purposes. And the person of God never tempts anyone, nor can he be tempted. The person of Satan, he tempts all persons at all times, and he can never do anything except solicit people to do evil. He's doing it all the time. And he's sucked the world into his mold, and they do it. And sometimes my own sinful heart, we, even when I am a Christian, allows me to hear the barking sounds of Satan and I respond to him and I do what he says. And then I confess my sin and I ask Christ for forgiveness and I'm, I'm ready for the next test and, and when that test comes, I, I avoid the temptation and I, I look at my desires And I want to shred those desires like nobody's business. And I want to ask for grace, the grace of the Word of God and the people of God and the Spirit of God to take me and wash me and and remake me and cause me to be steadfast and persevering. And when God gives me such grace, I say, this came from Him because He's working in my life. He's, He's challenging me as a believer in Jesus to grow even through the very hard trials and tests of life. But thank God I'm passing. Thank God I'm passing. This is 
This is what James 1 is all about. I dare say it's probably a memory passage for all of us. Lord, when these trials come, please let me take God's Word into my mind and say no to Satan and all his allurements, to say no to the kinds of temptations that I know are dangerous and they are murderous and they will, they will nip at my heels until I ask for the resources of God Almighty to help me. And I ask other people around me to help me who are strong believers and maturing Christians. And I ask God to give me His grace and His power to withstand those things. And if that's you, and if that's you characteristically so, you can know that you are passing the test. And when you pass the test, you will come forth as gold. And that's where we end. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith. There it is again. There's trials and here's testing. The tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, yes, you've got to go through it. Yes, it will happen to all of us, but you'd go through the fire because you may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Boy, this is a message for me. And I trust for you as well. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, thank you for giving us a kind of message, a, a wake-up call, a, an encouragement that when the various trials of life come into our domain, we ask, we plead, we beg that as we're going through that fiery furnace of adversity and examination, that we would not receive the divine verdict, ah, dokimos, found after examination to not be real, to not be true, to not be a Christian. Though I've made the claim, oh, may it be its reverse. May through the torrent of testing, the furnace of fire, the temptations that Satan would want to foist upon me are taken up through the trials and tests of our loving Savior who gives us His wisdom and who does not tempt any man nor can he himself be tempted. And He works powerfully through the Word and the Spirit and the church to grant us a kind of existence, though challenging, will result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. May it be so for everyone here. Thank you, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Thank you for your trials. Give us 
potent weapons against temptations and allow us to pass the test to say no to our strong lustful desires and to say yes to the strong desires of righteousness and holiness we ask that you would do it for your honor and glory and our good at the revelation of your son in whose name we pray amen